0: Where's Laura? I don't know, Mother, Lisa said. She was with me across the street a little while ago. Lisa, how many times have I told you two girls to stay together? Alice's voice was disapproving. Now you go find her. It's almost time for dinner. All right, Mother. Lisa sighed like a martyr. I'll go find her. Elisa couldn't find Laura, and neither could Sherry or Glenn. Alice and I joined the search, Alice going one way and I another. The children down the street said they thought she was in the park, Alice said as we met again in front of the house. But when I walked over there, the park was empty. I'll drive around the block. She can't be very far away. I, just, I tried to sound less concerned than I felt, but the drive around the neighborhood also proved fruitless. Alice was standing by the driveway when I returned to her. Her face fell when she saw me get out of the car alone. The others haven't seen her either. Alice's voice was beginning to sound shaky i think we should call the police it will be dark soon i don't know i shrugged still not wanting to admit my fear at that moment walking down the sidewalk as if nothing were wrong came the familiar little figure of our laura alice gave a glad cry and rushed toward her then she stopped "'Anger rising through her relief. "'Laura and Basham, where have you been? "'Didn't you hear us call you? "'Don't you know we've been looking for you everywhere?' "'Laura's blue eyes were innocent. "'I was over at Gina's. "'Then you should have heard us calling. "'We were playing in the garage.' "'Laura still sounded unconcerned. "'But we thought you were lost, Laura. "'Don't you understand?' Tears of exasperation were starting to course down my wife Alice's cheeks. We thought you were lost, Laura, she repeated. We thought we would never see our Laura Ann again. At last, Laura understood. Burying her face in Alice's skirts, she began to wail in terror. Alice and I looked at each other. After all, she hadn't really been lost, just playing in a neighbor's garage. It's all right, Laura, I patted uh, Alice patted her on the head. We're not angry anymore, I said. You just frightened us, that's all. We love you and don't want anything to happen to you. But Laura was inconsolable. She clung to Alice like a burr and gasped between sobs. I didn't m- mean to be bad. I'm I'm sorry. Daddy said it's all right now, Laura. Alice bent over and hugged the trembling little form. We're all back together now, and it's all right. Laura raised her tear, tear-stained face. "'But you said I might never see you again,' and she burst into renewed wailing. Alice looked at me helplessly. "'What do we do now? First we couldn't make her understand, and now we can't get her to calm down.' Laura sniffed her way through most of the dinner hour, and it wasn't until we all piled into the car to drive downtown for ice cream afterward that she finally seemed pacified.' By the children's bedtime, I had forgotten the incident. But when I went in to say goodnight, I found Laura sitting bolt upright in her bed. I reached over to turn off the light. Lie down now, I said. Lie down. Laura's lower lip began to quiver. And her voice caught when she said, I can't sleep, Daddy. Why not? "'Cause every time I start to say my prayers, "'something inside of me makes fun of them.' "'And she began to cry again. "'Leaving the light on, I sat down on the bed "'and for a few moments pondered her strange statement. "'Something inside of her? "'I couldn't recall ever having heard any of her children say such a thing before. "'Reluctant as I was to think about it, "'it sounded precisely like the activity of some demonic mocking spirit.' What a frightening idea that such a thing could invade my own child. I tried to sound casual as I made the suggestion to Laura. You know, honey, that sounds a little like it might be something evil. "Uh Uh-huh. Want to get rid of it? Laura nodded. I was grateful that the children knew about the ministry I was getting into and accepted it so naturally. Let's ask Jesus to help us, okay? Laura said a simple prayer, asking Jesus to chase away the teasing thing inside of her. When she finished, I said, Let's find out the Spirit's name, then I'll tell it to leave. All right, Daddy, said Laura. From what Laura had said, I had assumed the Spirit's name would be Mocking, or something like that. But to my surprise, when I commanded the Spirit to name itself, Laura answered firmly, fear as i ordered the spirit of fear to go away laura grabbed herself across the midriff then straightened up i felt it leave she said matter-of-factly i'm fine now good night daddy and she snuggled between her pillows good night sweetheart i stood up relieved and still very puzzled daddy Laura's sleepy voice reached me at the door i think i know why the old thing came "'You do?' I said. "'Well, you know this afternoon "'when you and Mommy were so mad at me, "'you said you might never see me again. "'Daddy, I got so scared, "'and I felt something laughing over ever since. "'Guilt swept over me as I recalled "'how Alice and I, determined to make a point with Laura, "'had succeeded only in terrifying her. "'Was it possible that on that terror an alien spirit of fear had come riding in? This was how I began to explore, quite by accident, within my own family, the ways in which an evil spirit can gain entry into the system. What happened with Laura, I felt, was that because of the afternoon's trauma, a crack appeared in her natural defenses. As a child of God, she was ordained ordinarily, excuse me, As a child of God, she was ordinarily protected from such invasions. Actually, however, it must work out often for us that because of some disturbance, a shock, an illness, an accident, our normal defenses are let down. Obviously, it doesn't take long for an evil spirit to take advantage of the situation, get in and start doing his dirty work. It wasn't long before I began to run across other points of entry. One day, in McKeensport, Pennsylvania, a lovely teenage girl came forward after a church service where I had spoken on deliverance. Is there a lady here who could pray for me? It's about demons. A lady? I said. Yes, it's very personal, she replied. It happened that one of the deaconesses of McKeesport Church had had some experience in deliverance. She and the girl disappeared into a prayer room. It wasn't until later that I discovered the reason for this beautiful teenager's bashfulness. She had been plagued by a compulsive desire to throw herself sexually at men. Sure enough, the demon within her named itself Wantonness. But the interesting thing to me, the deaconess continued, was how the spirit got into Maria in the first place. She identified she identified very clearly the time the spirit entered. I know, the woman or the beautiful girl had said that I invited these things inside me when I started going to those sex movies. Beneath the heading, How Do Demons Get Inside?, I jotted down on my notebook two tentative answers. Spirits invade us through chinks in our natural armor caused by trauma. Spirits take hold of our natural carnal desires when they are indulged to excess. In Maria's case, it was deliberate exposure to the hyperstimulation of certain films. For another person, it might be overindulging a natural appetite for food or perhaps drink. Any repeated indulgence of the flesh could provide the point of low resistance where a spirit could enter it. Our appetites are areas to which we can say yes or no. If we habitually say yes, we open ourselves to the possibility of something other than mere appetite taking root within us. I must confess my reluctance to admit the seriousness of a third port port of entry. My first inkling of it had come during Maxwell White's warning at Cleveland about the dangers of dabbling in occultism. The blood-curdling scene in the smaller room as we wrestled with the demon of witchcraft was scarred in my memory. But I told myself it was a special case, an exception. The fact was I didn't want to grant that all psychic excursions carried a danger. Hadn't Alice and I years before been quite deeply involved in this whole area? And though we had decided after a while that we wanted no part of it, what harm had it actually done? And then I had two two experiences in close succession which tended to confirm everything Maxwell White had said, and to make me look again at what Alice and I had been through. One day in northern Florida, a woman came to the prayer meeting where I was speaking. As was usually the case now, I included in my talk Christ's promise of freedom from bondage through the deliverance of ministry. Sorry, through the deliverance ministry. Excuse me. as i was speaking i noticed this particular woman sitting forward on the edge of her seat her eyes fixed on me with a strange glare even after the meeting had been dismissed she remained motionless in her seat her eyes riveted on me as i stepped toward her she shrank back against her chair and began to whimper they say i'll die i commanded the spirit tormenting her On command, excuse me, on command, the spirit tormenting her spoke its name fortune telling. I was surprised, but helped her to a successful deliverance. In the next few minutes, several other spirits were identified and cast out, among them necromancy and palm reading. Afterward, the woman confessed she had been often consulted, that she had often consulted fortune tellers. It was a hobby of mine, she admitted, until about three years ago when a palm reader told me that I would not live beyond the age of 50. I'm 52 now, and the last two years have been a nightmare. Every time I become even slightly ill, I'm sure I'm dying. And I have always dismissed fortune-telling as a harmless parlor game. Very shortly thereafter, I ministered to a man who suffered from periods of deep suicidal depression. At one point, he said rather casually, You know, I visited a medium after my wife died, and I was looking for some evidence that she was still alive. A number of strange, unexplainable things had happened at that medium's home. Messages purporting to be from my wife were passed on, some of them containing information known only to the two of them. But always after the seances, he was tormented with thoughts of taking his own life. It was more. Be- I excuse me. I was more bewildered than ever. Could it be that simply by visiting a medium or having your fortune told, you were exposing yourself to demonic oppression? What exactly was the relationship between psychic experience and Satan's realm? Once more, I lined up my notebook, my Bible and a concordance, and began to check the scriptural references to occult practice. I was dismayed and astounded at what my research revealed, not only at the overwhelming amount of scripture which forbade such practices, but also at the severity of God's judgment against those who pursued them. From the Bible, one thing became crystal clear. God considers all occult practices abominable and idolatrous over 40 references in both old and new testament confirmed it according to scripture it is a sin it is sinful for a child of god to seek supernatural help in the occult realm it is just as sinful for him to do that as to commit adultery quote and the soul that turneth after such as have familiar spirits and after wizards I will even set my face against that soul and will cut him off from among the people. Leviticus 26. 20, verse 6. Now, the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, of which I tell you that they who do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Galatians 5:19 through 21 it was all beginning to make sense it would be so completely typical of satan to produce a lie world of the supernatural a whole realm of counterfeit spiritual experience oh real enough in the sense of being authentically supernatural but a deadly counterfeit in that it places the innocent seeker not in touch with god or the spirits of departed loved ones as he supposes But with the very powers of darkness themselves the difficulty of course is not that it does at first seem innocent let me try that again the difficulty of course is that it does at first seem innocent alice and i had had no sense of disobedience when we set out to investigate psychic phenomena It was my first year of seminary, because we had heard fascinating stories about it. Alice and I started attending a spiritualist church, which met on Sunday nights in a home on the edge of town. The leader was a trance medium, one who, after entering into a state of self-induced sleep, became the medium through which a purported spirit from the other side can communicate. In this case, the spirit claimed to be that of the medium's dead sister— The Sunday night rituals were much the same each week, from ten to fifteen persons gathered in the medium's home, and before the service, each of us would write out a question on a small slip of paper and place it in a basket on the table, behind which sat the medium. During the singing of an old-fashioned gospel hymn, the medium would tie a blindfold across her eyes, then rest her head on her arms and enter into a state of trance. As soon as the music stopped, she would sit up And the voice, claiming to be her sister, began to speak through her lips. Good evening, friends. This is Minnie Marie Blackburn speaking to you from the world of spirit. We never questioned the hackneyed greeting, which sounded more like an announcer on amateur radio than a spirit presumably descending from realms of light. After some small talk, Minnie will begin to answer the questions in the basket. She did this without touching the basket, or the papers containing the questions. The, meeting, the meetings were all conducted in the open, in bright light, where the proceedings could be viewed clearly. For example, Minnie would say, This question is from my sister's earthly neighbor, who asks if she should sell her property for the price offered. The spirit guide says that she should not be in a hurry to sell. The property is worth more than she has been offered. And indeed, such a question was among those in the basket. Alice and I were utterly intrigued. Minnie, on occasion, would give descriptions of what it was like on the other side. Beautiful gardens are here, palatial homes, teachers happily welcoming, welcoming new arrivals from the earth plane. Everyone is happy here, everyone helping everyone else. Fascinated, I didn't notice Minnie's total omission of the name of Jesus Christ. She called what she was doing, quote, preaching the gospel of God, end quote. Alice and I attended the strange services for a considerable period than one Sunday night. There was a startling disclosure, speaking through many, a spirit who claimed he was Dr. Samuel Johnson, the famous 18th century English writer, declared that he was searching for a clear channel, end quote, through whom he could communicate to the modern world. To my astonishment, I was to be that instrument." While I was pleased with my desire to go into the ministry Beg your pardon let me try that again While Dr Johnson was pleased with my desire to go into the ministry Dr Johnson made it clear that I would be a much more effective channel f- for good by becoming a medium Now it was Now it was what happened next which convinced me that we were truly dealing with the supernatural For a proof of his having watched me closely for a long period of time, Dr. Johnson revealed certain things to the group which I had done in the past about which no one knew except myself. He spoke, for example, of a time I had been praying in the spirit while driving a car across the plains of Oklahoma. He also predicted the surprise return of my brother Fred from Greenland. A prediction which shortly came true. Dr. Johnson concluded by urging me to send, by urging me to set aside a period each day for contemplation so that he could begin to speak to me directly. Amazing, truly amazing. Why then did it, ta- did it also make me feel vaguely uneasy? Just a slight wariness at first, just a feeling that this might not be the will of God, without knowing why I felt that way. It would be dishonest to say that this feeling came quickly. My desire for continued supernatural experience was very strong. Only some inner alarm kept sounding inside me. To complicate matters in my classes at the seminary, the authority of Scripture was much in question. Therefore, I found myself tending to discount the one or two warnings I was aware of in the Bible against spiritualism. After all, what I was experiencing was far more exciting than dull Bible reading. So I ignored the warning at first, and then some rather strange things started to happen to me. Several times... When I was praying or reading alone, I seemed to be aware of some invisible person in the room with me. I sensed very clearly that I was being watched. On one occasion, I thought I saw the faint but discernible outline of a human figure standing nearby. When I stared straight at it, it disappeared, but each time I went back to reading, I would see it once more out of the corner of my eye. And once, when I was browsing in the campus bookstore, I felt an irresistible urge to tilt my head upward. My attention was suddenly riveted on a book on the very top shelf. The book was in the middle of a long line of reference volumes, and there was no earthly reason for my seeing it. My heart jumped, for it was the biography of Dr. Samuel Johnson. The following Sunday night, I reported to many the strange happenings of the week past. I received a most enthusiastic endorsement. I was strongly encouraged to continue the same kind of openness to the spirit world. Don, are you sure this is right? Alice's words as we drove home that evening echoed, in my, echoed my own internal question. And soon it was stronger than a question, a voice insistently re- repeating, stay away, stay away. The idea of giving over my personality to the control of another, no matter how imminent, frightened me. I asked God to show Alice and me if we were getting involved in something that was dangerous. The next Sunday night, during the trance, I told the spirit control that I was not convinced it was God's will for me to go into the area, that is, into this area. Many was clearly disappointed later on i noticed the medium still in trance began to twist and writhe on the chair suddenly Minnie said that she was relinquishing control of her sister because of spiritual interference but that she would try to get back in touch with her in half an hour then the medium slumped forward and came out of the trance gasping for breath She was quite obviously frightened, but within half an hour she agreed to submit to the trance again. She replaced her blindfold, and within seconds, Minnie was once more in control. But this time, it was different. The spirit voice was now aggrieved and complaining, the medium clearly experiencing discomfort. Minnie's last words made chills run up my spine, "The interruption was caused by the intrusion of an unwelcome spirit," the voice lamented. "The spirit controlled, during this his Earth life, my Fa-our father. He hated me and my sister. A few minutes ago he forced his way into our circle," the voice became shrill and tremulous. "He attempted to take my sister's life by inserting his fingers into her windpipe." With that, the medium collapsed with her head in her arms and transcended. So did our visits to the medium's home. Although I understood nothing of the motive or means of the attack, any attempted murder from heaven convinced me that our prayer had been answered. We were in an area God did not want us to have anything to do with. We never went back. My sense of disillusionment was keen. The fascination of spiritualism had had a strong grip on me. Like many another Christian, I had been eager for demonstrable spiritual reality. But recognized that God had shut the door. I determined never to attend another spiritualist seance. Looking back on this bizarre period from the vantage point of my present involvement in the deliverance ministry, I realized that Alice and I had become involved in a satanic deception. We were, in that medium's living room, in in contact with spirits, all right, demon spirits who were only impersonating the spirits of deceased human beings. I also saw significance in the fact that the writhing and choking which the medium endured during that attack was the same kind of physical manifestation I had seen in many people who were being delivered. It was as though Lucifer's henchmen, when threatened, perhaps by my expression of doubt, had revealed their true nature. Beings out only—they are beings, spirits, out only to hurt and destroy." Apparently, then, evil spirits could gain a foothold in a human life by our participation in forbidden psychic practices, as well as by our deliberate indulgence of physical appetites and by various accidents, shocks, or traumatic experiences, which fractured the personality and made it vulnerable. How could we defend ourselves against such invasions? I wrote the following. Number 1. Do not deliberately indulge inappropriate carnal appetites. Your conscience will alert you. Two, practice pleading the blood. This is an ancient form of asking for divine protection. It entails claiming our rights as Christians be protected from the evil. From the evil one. Jesus defeated Satan by going to the cross and shedding his blood. He can claim that, vi- we can actively claim that victory for ourselves and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, Revelation twelve eleven. Such a pleading seems especially helpful in times of traumatic experience such as injury, a shock, a nightmare, dream, a serious illness, or the like. Stay strictly away from the psychic, medium, astrological, fortune-telling, ESP, spiritualist world. If we have already come into contact with that world, confess such involvement as a sin and seek deliverance. As soon as I had written these last words, I knew that I must do this myself chose a time when i was alone in the house first of all i had my notes i confessed my involvement with spiritualism as a sin i laid the whole series of events before god as honestly as i could i admitted the great attraction i had felt for the supernatural special knowledge and how i had ignored the warning in his word and i asked him to forgive me I spoke out loud. In the name of Jesus Christ, I come against any occult spirit that might have entered me. I renounce you in the name of Jesus Christ, and I command you. And that was as far as I got. A sudden wave of nausea swept over me. For a few seconds, I had the strangest feeling. I didn't really want to renounce the spirit that it was wrong to pray this way that i needed and desperately wanted to continue my psychic investigation i felt the same intense attraction that i that had goaded me into it years ago i had to force myself to complete the command in the name of jesus i command you you demon of spiritualism to be gone or to come out immediately my chest constricted and i exploded into a sharp spasm of coughing that lasted seven or eight seconds The coughing left me red-faced, shaky, and astonished. Although I had, by this time, seen or assisted in several hundred exorcisms, I had not until that moment experienced anything myself whatsoever. What had happened? Certainly during the days that followed, I noticed a distinct difference in my attitude towards everything psychic. Before, I had tended to regard such things as horoscopes, Ouija boards, with a kind of benign toleration now my inner reaction was one of acute loathing and disgust and as i continued to pray and thank god i came to know without question that something had left me which had lodged inside me for a long long time had i known how to continue the self-deliverance far more drastic results might have been forthcoming